everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church, and this episode is part of our counseling series. Some of our staff have sat in counseling appointments with Nick, our lead pastor, and there are many takeaways that we can use. Whether we are in a similar situation, you are formally counseling someone else, or you're just being a friend. What people often find when they're sitting in a counseling appointment is a paralysis. They just don't know what to do. This series is designed to equip you with how to get past that paralysis and take action in these situations. In this episode, Nick and Erin Hesse, our Director of Small Groups and Connections, are going to talk about conflict in marriage. This is mainly based on some email correspondence between Nick and a wife seeking a divorce. For the purposes of this episode, the couple's names have been changed to Linda and Matt. We hope that this content will be useful to you, and if you have any questions, send them to us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. I'm Erin. And I'm Nick. And we are going to dive right into this podcast about counseling, uh, particularly conflict in marriage. Nick, I'm sure you get a lot of counseling appointments related to this topic. I don't know if you know a percentage. It's a lot. It's more than half. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I'm just curious, is it all ranges of age and or like years that people have been married where you get people coming in talking about this issue? Um, yes and no. Uh, generally speaking, uh, couples need a lot of help in the first three years of marriage, mm-hmm. given certain variables, like how easily compatible the relationship is how much stress there is in their life how quickly they get pregnant so on Mm. and then somewhere around the seven year mark which is one of a big divorce spike year for specific Mm -hmm. reasons usually that's the entrance of the second child Mm. and a wife has a it's a lot harder for a wife to pay attention to her husband yeah and so there's a lot of temptation about the husband kind of spiraling out away from the family Mm -hmm. in the orbit of the family the wife tends to abandon her husband for the children. It, that creates all kinds of conflicts. Mm-hmm. You begin to have m- the money stresses of multiple children and there's resentment that builds up if the mom doesn't want to work as much. There's all kinds of things, right? Yeah. And then when you start getting teenage children, um, if you look at the uh, studies on happiness in marriage, um, having teenage children is the lowest point of any marriage. Hmm. In all four studies that have been done, having teenage children is the most unhappy thing that can happen to a marriage in terms of the normal life stages of a marriage. Mm -hmm. And so... Which I'm sure has, there's many factors that play into that, not just stress of having teenagers like and their attitudes, but they cost more and uh they're just busier schedules. A lot of it is their attitudes. But yeah, a lot of it is busy schedules. You're, You're like parents just get torn away from each other mm-hmm. they don't even see each other yeah and that can create a lot of problems sure. so that's a very difficult time mm-hmm. and then empty nesting can be difficult where couples are like crap we don't know each other anymore yeah and that can be difficult but once the kids are gone and they realize that god wants them to stay together there's a process of re-getting to know each other that mm-hmm. can happen that's mm-hmm. not it's not even really that hard yeah um so th- there can be a lot of bitterness especially i think sometimes in men but I think both sexes. They're just mm-hmm. bitter that their spouse didn't handle the kid years differently. Hmm. And then in some couples, one of the spouses has been planning to leave for like five or 10 years. Hmm. And so if at the empty nesting moment, 
the other spouse says, we need counseling right when the other person's getting ready to leave. Yeah. It's too late. Yeah. It's sometimes some people have called it walk away spouse syndrome. Hmm. It's more common with wives than husbands where the spouse complained. The, the other spouse was unresponsive. Mm -hmm. They shut up about it after their talking about it had no effect for years. Yeah. They disengaged from the relationship. They started to make plans mm -hmm. to leave. And then by the time they say we're leaving and the other person says, Oh wait, I'm ready to change. It's too late. Yeah. The other person is so emotionally checked out that you just can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So my advice for that is if you're listening, if your spouse has been complaining about something hmm. about how you behave or whatever, and then you didn't do anything about it and they finally shut up about it and you feel like finally they stopped nagging hmm. me about this. It could be because they've accepted you. It could be because they're so resentful about you not dealing with that thing that they've already started to pull away from your relationship yeah. and you better do something about it right now. Mm, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, for our listeners, if you've, well, whether you are hoping to be married or if you've been married for 25, 30 years, th what we're going to be talking about is really applicable because there's always preemptive strategies that we can be um, like working towards to build our relationship or to be thinking about how we want to build ourselves to be ready because there will inevitably be conflict. Yeah. When you have a marriage between two sinners, you need to be on the offense mm -hmm. in terms of making your marriage better. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a few specific questions that I have a few specific questions for you, Nick. Um, but first of all, and this may be kind of a silly place to, to start, um, but I want you to actually clarify the legitimate reasons for biblical divorce. And the reason why is because I can imagine that there, if there are people listening mm -hmm. who are um, in conflict with their spouse and they've already started going down that path of, can I get divorced? Should I get divorced? It, I think it's important to say right up front, all of the things that we're going to talk about are, are outside of the biblical reason for divorce. And so I think it's important mm -hmm. to share that. Yeah, all these counseling podcasts that we do are based on specific episodes of a counseling session mm -hmm. you either sat in on or a correspondence that I had that's written. Yep. In this case, it was a written correspondence with a woman who went to High Point Church. She's out of town now. She married she married somebody she's not easily compatible with, mm -hmm. and that has created a lot of conflict in their marriage, mm -hmm. and, and they got married later in life. And sometimes it's harder, and you're like 46, and you get married to change, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, both have been divorced before, so the idea of divorce isn't in any sense unthinkable. Hmm. They've both been through it, like dealt with it. Yeah. And so not long into their marriage, they're just kind of like, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? Let's just get divorced. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, accept your Christians now. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's all these other things, other options yeah, yeah. instead. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But it's very common when marriage problems have been going on for a while um, and they're bad that what a couple really wants me to tell them is they have irreconcilable differences, they're incompatible with one another, and therefore the right thing to do is to get divorced. Mm. And they want me to tell them that God's okay with it. Um, and usually it sounds something like this. I have suffered. My suffering is substantial and mm -hmm. long-lasting. I have very little, if any, hope to stop suffering in this relationship. Therefore, it's unreasonable God would ask me to continue to do so. Therefore, 
it must be fine for me to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That feels so legitimate, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, listen, I, it's so hard for me sometimes. Like sometimes I listen to these couples and I'm just like, dear Lord, we just need to get these people in different states, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but that's that it, you're right. It, the premise of your question that the, the Bible doesn't really give a lot of space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in dysfunctional cultures in among people who don't know God and whose ways are not patterned after God, divorce is pretty normal. Hmm. So in the old Testament under the law of Moses, divorce was permitted. It was permitted very widely. There are only a few situations in which you couldn't get divorced. Hmm. And so, for example, if a man married a woman, accused her of not being a virgin when they got married, and then her family proved she was, that man had to pay a fine and he could never divorce the woman as long as he lived. Wow. There are a few situations mm-hmm. like that where the punishment to a man... So, for example, if a man raped an Israelite virgin, mm-hmm. the penalty was he had to pay the bride price and he could never divorce her as long as he lived. Wow. Because we think of rape as like, oh my God, well, like, well, are you kidding me? Yeah. But like in that culture, a raped woman could never marry. She'd sure. be she'd be alone the rest of her life yeah. and celibate the rest of her life and childless the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And so um, that guy having to come into her family's circles, mm-hmm. he, it, it seemed better. Apparently, it's it was it was better than the alternative in a terrible situation. Right. But part of the penalty, of the guy was like he could never get out of this relationship mm-hmm. ever. Right. But that of course presumed that other in lots of situations you could. In fact, by the time of Jesus, there were two rabbinical perceptions of the divorce commands in the law of Moses. One is a man could divorce his wife for any and any re- every and any reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Shimmy, I think it was Shimmy, I, the rabbi said, if she burned dinner, that was obscene enough that he could divorce his yeah. wife. And then another school, the Hillel school, I think it was interpreted indecency in the book of Deuteronomy as adultery hmm. or, um, fraud that she was a virgin upon their marriage. And that if he found something indecent, that is, she wasn't a virgin and he didn't want her put her up to be killed, then he could just divorce her. Yeah. Right. Jesus said that Hillel was right. Okay. So the hmm. even under the law of Moses, he said you were allowed to divorce because you had such hard hearts. Mm-hmm. Right? And some people want that to be true now. That like, well, my spouse's heart is so hard. Yeah, but that doesn't work actually. Yeah. Jesus explicit. So there's two situations in which divorce is acceptable, biblically speaking. One okay. is in the case of adultery. Mm-hmm. Adultery is seen as a means of breaking the covenant. Mm -hmm. And when you break the covenant of marriage through adultery, the covenant is broken Mm -hmm. and you are permitted to divorce. That doesn't mean you should divorce. It means you're permitted to divorce. So in most cases, a lot of Christian couples um, stay together. Mm -hmm. I've counseled a lot of Christian couples that have stayed together after adulterous relationships and they have great marriages. Mm -hmm. Some of them, some never do. But sure. a lot of them have some of the best marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, Not without I, hard work I, and, tor- oh, and lots, lots of, of counseling. I even it. know yeah. some Christian couples where adulteries happened more than once, years wow. apart. <laughs> and the spouses still say, now we have a fantastic marriage. I'm wow. so glad I went through both of those things and stayed with my husband, right? Mm-hmm. But it is up to the offended spouse. Mm-hmm. If she wants to leave or if he wants to leave, they are permitted to do so. And the, I and I understand Matthew 5 to teach and they can remarry. I think mm-hmm. in any case where the divorce is legitimate, remarriage is assumed. Okay. 
Some conservative Christian people who tried to be as like conservative as they possibly could with this have said, divorce doesn't assume remarriage, and the Bible assumes you can't remarry. Mm-hmm. I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So the second situation is in 1 Corinthians 7 that talks about if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. The believer is not bound in, cer- in such circumstances. Mm-hmm. I believe that bound there, and most biblical scholars seem to at least now, understand that to mean that if the unbeliever leaves you Mm -hmm. in the case of abandonment that in such cases that person is free to even initiate a divorce Mm -hmm. and to be free of that relationship and then to remarry because they're not bound in that relationship yeah um so abandonment and adultery now some people have said what about like extreme drug abuse Mm -hmm. what about a like physical abuse Mm -hmm. or profound mental abuse or whatever I think that's more subjective. I think it's very dangerous to go down that road because today we call everything abuse. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I've seen couples where the woman's like, he abuses me so much. He just treats me like garbage. And then they come into my office and the things she says to him are beyond indecent. And I'm just like, don't come in here and tell me he's abusing you. Mm Mm-hmm. When you're doing this same thing right back at him. Sure. You're not some little mouse that's getting trampled upon, right? So there's a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think in ex- in extreme cases, you can argue that extreme abuse amounts to active abandonment. You're, you're sure. driving yeah. the other person out of the house mm-hmm. rather than abandoning them yourself. Yeah. And that you could see abuse as a kind of abandonment just an, an active, a driving the other person away mm-hmm. rather than abandoning them. Yeah. But functionally the exact same thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's, for me, that takes judgment and you need to counsel with people and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Lots of conversation to really understand what that looks like in right. the situation. Because the Bible says that God hates divorce. Mm-hmm. Because, not because he hates those people. Or, it's just, it, it, it destroys human society. Mm-hmm. The stability of male-female bonds in marriage are so fundamental to stable society of any kind that anything that undermines them is catastrophic, mm-hmm. right? And anybody who's gone through a divorce will tell you it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. So we want to prevent that at all costs. Yeah, yeah. Know? And for most people, for a bad marriage to get better, they cannot have an out. Yeah. So like when Alexa and I got married in our first two years of marriage, we literally hated each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, not for the whole two years, but there mm-hmm. was a season where she and I both daydreamed about the other person dying <laughs> and how great that would be. Yeah. And it, if I... If I, it was basically the exact day I went through the logic of this. Is there any way I can get free of this woman? And the answer was no. She's God's daughter. I married her. She has not committed adultery. Mm -hmm. She's not abandoned me. We're just very unhappy and dislike each other greatly. Mm -hmm. So I've, I I can't leave her if I'm, if I belong to Jesus. When that moment happened, I then threw away that whole 50% of my options. 100% of my options now, I have to find a way to live with this woman where we like it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and that's when I finally went to a counselor. Mm. And it was a professor of mine at the time, but I was like, okay, here's where I am. I hate my wife. I wish she would die mm-hmm. accidentally. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And he gave me like four things to start doing. We started doing it. It was a couple months. Things started to turn around because we, we hadn't been that way for that long. Yeah, anymore. yeah. Um, but as long as you have the option of divorce and you have a bad marriage, it's very difficult to turn things around. You have to believe there's no other option right? to really do all that it takes. Yep. Jason Similarly and I, 
following Jesus your whole life. Like yeah. you've got to believe yeah. there's no other option than to persevere in Christ. Yeah. Jason and I had a well. very similar situation, like starting off. And I, I think we've talked about that on the podcast before too, that we just, when, especially in those first two years, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to have been married for seven or 15 or 20 years nope, to experience some of that the first week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or even before you get married. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And th- that is what, I mean, we for sure would have gotten divorced within the first year, probably. Um, it had, we not believed that that wasn't an option for us. So, yeah. Yeah. Nicole and Scott, similar yeah. situation. Um, quite a number of people actually, mm-hmm. some really great marriages. Yeah. Because when you marry somebody that you're not naturally compatible with, yeah. that is normally the result. Yep. Over time, if you learn to accept them, to grow in all the ways that you're sinful, that come out when you interact with them, all mm-hmm. that, you grow a lot you accept them. You have this very rich relationship of acceptance with each other mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it can be, it can be hard. Yeah. Real hard. Yeah. So, anyway. so, so if you start with that, then most marriage situations where they're like, can I please get a divorce? The answer is not if you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so then the question is, well, then how do we make this chaotic pit of nonsense better? Right. And that's what it looked like in this email correspondence right. with this couple. And I think, the names that we're using are Linda and Matt. So right. if we want to use those names. But Linda literally okay. said, can I please get a divorce? Yeah. Yes. And I appreciated, like, I mean, your response to her was, well, no, <laughs> yeah. because you are both Christians. Right. And then rather than going directly towards the specific conflict that they were experiencing, you said, okay, we need to go back to just basic basic biblical truths right. and know those things first. So what were what are some of those basic truths that we need to hold on to when we're in conflict with our spouse? Right. Okay, so before we do that, let me just say something very distinctly. Mm -hmm. Do not tell people it's okay to get a divorce Mm -hmm. unless you absolutely know for sure that it is okay. If she says to you, he's had three affairs, I think I should get a divorce, do you think I can biblically? The answer is yes. Okay, but if she goes into like regales you about how bad a chap her husband is and says, can I get a divorce? Don't say, okay, I used to be like, you should talk to your pastor or you should consult the scriptures mm-hmm. or what did Jesus actually say about this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or if they say, I've been praying about to God about this and I feel like God thinks it's okay. You should be like, that's interesting. What what does his revealed will say mm-hmm. in the Bible yeah. where he explicitly tells us what he thinks about this? Mm-hmm. But it's it sounds kind. It is not kind mm-hmm. to tell people who should not pursue divorce that they can. Yeah. Because they're in an altered state of consciousness because they're in so much pain. To tell people in pain they should do whatever they want is a very, very unloving and cruel thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your question again was? Yes, what are some biblical truths that we need to remember when we are in conflict, when we are in marriage? We've taken divorce off the table. You named off a couple specific truths to this woman and then yeah. and you included her spouse in the so email we, as well so we talked about um that the husband and wife relationship is primary even before parents and children mm-hmm. the reason for this is with linda and matt these names that we're using that are fictitious um their issue was like he has a grown son that's living with them on and off without mm-hmm. any boundaries his dad was living with them but then died they've had her their his mother come live with them there's some issues there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this conflict had to do with extended family yeah, and in-laws and stepchildren are often spoken about as the reason for conflict with couples mm-hmm. because your responsibility to your family 
is the kind of thing people have very, very strong moral feelings about. Yeah. And they are not the same as other people's. Yeah. And so even when the differences are small, they can still produce opposite results of what you think you should do. And then you can still have enormous conflict. Mm -hmm. And you can actually feel like the other person has completely betrayed you because Mm -hmm. why aren't we on the same page? Right. Right. So the husband and wife relationship is primary even before parents or children or Mm -hmm. stepchildren or whatever. Two is um, your problem is not usually your situation. Your problem is the seven deadly sins common to all of humanity. Mm. So um, pride is more likely to be the problem than the adult child that's moving in and out of your house. Right. And until you recognize that and you begin to face your sin, you just, it's hard to make any progress because you'll always be a blamer. You'll be blaming your situation or your spouse or everybody else. And especially within marriage conflict, you have a very definite object for blaming the villainy, which is the other spouse. Yeah. And when you have that that obvious escape go, you have to be all the more careful to look at yourself and to try to be their ally. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to recognize that the other people in your life are going to behave under the influence of sin a good bit. Mm-hmm especially the people who are not involved in your marriage. Mm-hmm. So like you're having issues relating to other people. You need to recognize those people are going to behave sinfully. Yeah. Right. And so like, yeah, a grown child is going to freeload on their parents. Mm-hmm. If you let them, mm-hmm. that's natural. A, a mother-in-law is going to live with you and be insensitive to the effects of the dynamic on your family, mm-hmm. especially to the woman who's married in that she may not particularly like. Mm-hmm. That's all going to happen. You, you have to expect people to act somewhat sinfully mm-hmm. or you'll be surprised and angry all the time. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, the way you deal with issues in the past is by repenting and forgiving. Um, one of the things that I think is really important to a good marriage is full throated apologies. Just way over apologize. Can you give an example? Um, I'm not thinking one off the top of my head right now. Like what, there are many examples what to, in my life, but I can't think of <laughs> Like what would be, or I guess what is not a full-blown apology? Um, if you deal with the thing that hurt the person as an episode when it's really a pattern of behavior. So one of the things Alexi would, would get mad at me about sometimes is like, I just don't take out the trash when I should, mm-hmm. right? And for the reason she's mad is not because of the single episode, but because of the pattern of neglect in a chore that I said I would do. Yeah. And that she doesn't want to have to nag me to do, right? Mm-hmm. So there's three levels. There's, I should have done it. I have a pattern of not doing it. There's a cost to her for me mm-hmm. not doing it, both in the episode and in the pattern, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that I'm not doing it is a character issue in right. me. I'm not attentive to her needs because mm-hmm. I'm only thinking about myself, mm-hmm. right? And I justify that by thinking about how busy a person I am. Mm -hmm. So a full-throated apology would be like, sweetie, I'm so sorry I didn't take out the trash. I realize this is something I've been doing. And it's because I'm not thinking about you like I should. Mm -hmm. And it's causing me to be self-justifying of my neglect of numerous responsibilities probably that I have towards you and the kids because I just think of myself as so busy Mm -hmm. because quote work is so hard and Mm -hmm. like, I'm just really sorry that I have done that. I did that. I'm sorry that I'm like that. Mm-hmm. And 
um, I'm really sorry. Would you please tell me when I'm doing this? And like, I, I, I am going to do, I'm going to try to change mm-hmm. that as you're fleshing that out, that just reminded me, um, in the last like six months or so, Jason and I have talked about why or why not apologies feel like effective to each other. Right. And I was realizing that I like, I wanted to hear from him his understanding of how he was affecting, how this, the circumstance was affecting me long-term or how I would have, mm-hmm. how I felt beyond just, I'm sorry, I didn't like you, like an example that you gave and take, right. taking out the trash because I'm, that sh- makes you feel like I don't care about you. And it, that has made such a difference. Even as you were just giving your example yeah. now, I was like, oh yeah, that's, yeah. that sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah. So like apologies should be aimed at people's primal needs. Mm. So justice, value and security. Mm-hmm. So what I did was an injustice. It was wrong, right? I didn't sufficiently value you and it's going to be different. Like you want to know things are going to be different. Mm-hmm. You want to know you don't have to deal with this forever. And I w- I'm telling you that it may not be perfect this time, but like this is something we're going to fix. Yeah. I'm going to fix. Yeah. So I think when you get at those primal desires of the other person, mm-hmm. Like you treated me badly. I feel like I'm not valued and I don't know what's going to happen. That's where your apology should be. And it should be, but it shouldn't just be like, I'm sorry you feel this way. Right. Right. It should always be. And it should, I think that it should, it should end theologically. Mm -hmm. I feel like I just, I've dishonored the Lord by not valuing you. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I feel like I'm in a repentant place and now I need to believe in act differently mm-hmm. so it and like if you ask lexi like is nick better at this she'd be like uh eh, sometimes like the mm-hmm. kids take it out now a good bit and blah, blah 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 but um but the apology is important it's a f- good first start mm-hmm. yeah and like i've said in some sermons recently appropriately humiliating yourself in a way that really makes you feel embarrassed yeah. is important because you're you then use that internally without even realizing it to motivate yourself not to have to apologize again mm-hmm and you don't even really yeah. realize you're doing it, but if you felt sufficiently humiliated last time you apologized, you have a natural inclination not to do it again because you yeah. don't want to feel that humiliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, the, and then the other half of that point, the way that you deal with the issues is by repenting and forgiving, the, that forgiveness has right. to be present too in order to resolve conflict. It can't just be right. constant repentance and then just someone is laying their guts open in front of their spouse with with no forgiveness. Right. Yeah, because the forgiveness restores the relationship. Mm-hmm. If a person doesn't apologize, the relationship has a break in it because they are unwilling to value the other person by acknowledging the thing that has hurt the relationship. Mm-hmm. If the person acknowledges it and the other person won't put it away, they're saying you've acknowledged it, but the rift still exists. Yeah. So you're saying the relationship is not healed. Mm-hmm. And so it's forgiveness is relationally paramount because a relationship is a union Mm -hmm. and forgiveness restores the union. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So I talked a little bit with this couple about biblical headship and submission Mm -hmm. because the woman in the relationship is like a hard charger, get it done kind of lady. Mm -hmm. She's a leader in her jobs. She like, she's the kind of woman who like has everything taken care of. Sure. And then the husband is kind of like, doesn't seem to be actively engaging here mm-hmm. in dealing with the problems. That's one of the things that's making her so upset. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes sort of more high strung women 
who are very competent partly because they're very nervous, right? They see what's wrong. They try to handle it. Mm. They want to handle it right away. They often marry relaxed guys and relaxed guys are often fairly low in initiative. Mm -hmm. And so they work hard, but they're not big on initiative, like Mm -hmm. seeing problems before they happen and solving them before they become a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And so couples like this that have that, those wires crossed, it can create a ton of conflict. Yeah. And so I think one of the solutions to that is for them to theologically grapple with the biblical doctrine of male headship and wife submission Mm -hmm. or the role of of head and helper. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which doesn't mean the woman does whatever the man says because that's precisely what what Matt was doing in this case. Mm -hmm. He was just stonewalling her. He's just like, I'm not going to tell my mom to leave. I'm not going to tell her what to do. And then he just wouldn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So he was exerting his authority he was exerting sure. his male headship, but not not in a, a good leadership kind of way and not in a way that was really inviting her to be his helper. Right, not in a way that... just saying, leave me alone. Yeah, not in a way that really shows that they are one, that the husband and wife are one flesh. Right. That that was primary. Because if the woman is that Hebrew word, is there, that is the, the helper without which you cannot succeed is what that word means yeah. in Hebrew, right? Hmm. You, she has to be invited in. Mm-hmm. If she's the helper without whom you cannot succeed, mm-hmm. that literally it means you need her to succeed. Mm-hmm. So however you're exerting headship as the husband, it has to be invitational to the wife. You're bringing her into the situation mm-hmm. so that with her help you can succeed. Mm-hmm. So if there's any way in which you exert headship in which you're driving her away or excluding her from the context of the activity when she should be directly included, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Even if the thing really isn't hers to do. Sure. She's, what you still do is you invite her into your decision making. What you're, you're telling her what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Because the, the woman's role is responsive. Right? Mm-hmm. She's like, she's dancing with you. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't know what you're going to do, it's as awkward as a dance where nobody's really leading or the leader doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. She can't really do it. Mm-hmm. And so the improvisational and flexible work of the wife can't be done. Mm-hmm. And so when wives can't do their God-given work, they tend to get upset about yeah. it. Yeah, and naggy. <laughs> and naggy about it, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. usually the response with a man is to stonewall her all the right. more because he doesn't want her to be encouraged in her nagging. Mm-hmm. Which is a problem. Yep. And then the cycle just continues. It does. Yeah. I, I like how you, I felt like you succinctly put it well in the email that the husband should be seeking to engage his wife. And yet the wife must have an open heart and mind towards her husband since he can't really lead if, if there is not some amount of submission in her. And so there's, right. yeah, inviting her in because it is necessary for her to help him. And, and yet he is the one that is leading and in, um, in a place of authority over the household and is, I guess, laying the groundwork for her to enter in. Right. Yeah. Right. And what that means is she's got to be more flexible than she wants to be. Yeah. Because if you're not going to tell the man what to do, then in a lot of situations, there's multiple ways this could play out. Mm-hmm. And so in some cases, the husband should just be like, sweetie, what do you want to do? I want to do this. Okay, let's do that. Especially when the thing is in the wife's domain. It's the thing she's normally taking care of. Mm-hmm. So the husband should try to do things her way whenever that works, right? Mm-hmm. But like in situations where he has to take the lead, what you want him to do is probably not exactly what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's important to recognize, to be like, to as a wife say, okay, for me to feel loved and to feel like our family's going in the right direction, 
what's the minimum I need for him to do? Or what's the heart of what I really need for him to do? Mm-hmm. Not like this, this lady, Linda might've wanted him to just tell off his mom. Right. right? He's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But what you, what do you really need yeah. your mother-in-law to know? And what do you really need to happen with your mother-in-law living with you? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the heart of that? Okay. That's what you really need. So that's got to get conveyed to Matt and that Matt's got to figure out a way to say, is this morally legitimate? Does she have the right to ask this of me? Should I do this? Mm-hmm. Okay. What is the best way to do it that I can execute? Okay. I need to have the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think if she says it has to be done this way, then there's going to, there's a problem because right. he's not her. Right. You know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's just a really important thing to recognize that the woman has to maintain an open heart mm-hmm. and a certain amount of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Because if you tell the leader what to do, he's not leading. Yeah, yeah. Something else that I thought was really helpful for me, even as I just am thinking about my relationship with Jason, um, was you said nothing will make a man stonewall like being in a situation where there is no win. Yes. And of course, like for those who are listening, th- these are generalizations that, I mean. Yes, that are. That this one happens to be almost always true. Sure. Well, that's true for not men and women. <laughs> well, I was trying to think like what, they, hate what the flip being side in situations where they can't win. Yeah, that's why people get angry and quit. Yeah, right. If somebody all of a sudden gets angry, it's because you just well, it's not always, but one of the reasons if a normally thoughtful and like reasonable person gets really angry, mm-hmm. you've put them in a situation where they feel like there's no win. Mm-hmm. For the way that I I was trying to internalize it. Okay, well, what about for a woman? Mm-hmm. I, the way that I would feel and I, tell me if you think this is maybe just nuanced to me or if this could be more broadly generalized. But, um, I said, I, nothing will make a woman like more angrily nagged than being in a situation where she feels helpless and without direction. Like that's that other, that's where I have seen myself begin to be angry and nag and frustrated is when I feel like as a helper, I am, not able to help. Right. What are you supposed to do? Yes. Yeah. How does the helper help? And then there's no direction. Right. You're like, yeah. okay, what is the thing you can't accomplish mm-hmm. without my help? Mm-hmm. And what am I supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think when, I think women, and, but I think, I mean, I think that's true. If you take a guy and make him a subordinate in a company, right? And the man who's leading that other guy isn't clearly doing anything right. Like the other person gets another job. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Cause they're like, I, I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> what it's see. One of the problems is people want leadership cause they want the salary that comes with it and they want the authority. But one of the reasons why, like I joke around here about like, you know, if we preached a series on the minor prophets, maybe like half the church would go to another church. People are like, why do you always seem to want to shrink the church? And the answer is because I, I don't so much care about the salary or the authority. I see the responsibility, mm-hmm. the increase in responsibility. The more people there are, the more that's going on, the more people we're shepherding, the more God-given responsibility for these eternal human beings mm-hmm. that I must shepherd to eternity. Like it's so much responsibility yeah. and there's a lot of husbands that just don't step up to that. They don't mm-hmm. they don't recognize that they have all this responsibility. Yeah. And there's a huge responsibility to their wife that the wife would feel included and engaged, know how she can be that helper and to be a negotiative leader so that you're not just telling her what to do. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're bringing her in and you're making a game plan together whenever possible. Right. You know? Yeah. So I think headship is 
headship is a huge responsibility Mm -hmm. and men who don't take it up end up suffering for it because it's the, the, is there that helperness in women is, is kind of wired into them, Mm. especially most women. And you're, you're, you're literally working against biology in certain ways if you don't play the role of headship. Mm. And, um, even with like very egalitarian feminist, capable, independent, free thinking women. I've counseled tons of those women and they're all still frustrated at their husbands mm. for not leading. Mm. And sometimes all the more, the more intelligent, competent, educated, free thinking, like initiative taking, yeah. powerful the woman is, the more frustrated she gets mm-hmm. if she's with a man who isn't leading her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so because she doesn't, she can't lead him. He's not responsive to her leadership in a lot of ways. And she wants to go somewhere mm-hmm. and it's, it's frustrating. So yeah, I think it's fairly universal, though the way women interact with it, of course, is different Yeah, given the woman. Yeah. So one um, helpful tool that you gave this couple was starting with questions for them to ask, like for the spouse to ask themselves mm-hmm. um, about, yeah, when they're in ex- when they're experiencing conflict, questions that you should ask, be like asking internally first. Um, do you want to go over what those questions are? Sure. So one of the things I said is, you know, whenever before you have this conversation, you mm-hmm. need to ask yourself, "Am I dead to the flesh right now?" Mm-hmm. That is the like the selfish willfulness to mm-hmm. like get my way to be vindicated, or am I ready to serve? The purpose of our union, this other person, like what is your state of mind in relationship to self-justification versus service? Mm. And if you are, if you, what you desperately want is for them to acknowledge that they've wronged you and you're going to get that acknowledgement from them, that's probably bad. Mm. Not that you want them to acknowledge what they've done. That may be perfectly legitimate. But if you're like in this interaction, what I'm going to get from them is acknowledgement. That's just stop. (laughs) <laughs> don't engage like yeah. you're just in a completely wrong state of mind yeah you need to go pray is what you need to do mm-hmm. you need to tell god that he's king and lord that you are submissive to his will that he rules everything that you know that he's made you a servant especially in your household that you deserve nothing mm-hmm. that you're a sinner that really should just probably be burned alive forever and that like you need to get back in a place of humility mm-hmm. you know yeah and then go talk to your spouse mm-hmm. and um when i wrote that to this woman she was, she wrote back, oh, that hurts so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking like, that's not, it's not going to feel good. You're not going to go into that situation feeling like, yes, I'm laying down like this. It's, just, it doesn't usually feel like this noble laying down of your life in order mm-hmm. to serve. It, it's, it's so difficult to want to do that. Or I don't even know. Yeah. It's difficult to get to that place to do that, much less want to do that. Yeah. Okay. So the second thing is, I think, and this is something to reflect on, like when you're praying or trying to have a quiet time or something Mm -hmm. is ask yourself, am I behaving this, behaving this way because I'm feeling personally attacked, abandoned, or disrespected? Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I'm I'm saying that is because, um, our, some of our most primal needs when they get offended, we tend to act out in ways that are not planned. Mm -hmm. And so if you feel like, devalued or like you're going to be abandoned or really just insecure in the relationship Mm -hmm. and you feel that what people tend to do if they don't know that's how they're feeling is they tend to act aggressively and they tend to create a self-fulfilling prophecy 
they feel devalued. Mm -hmm. So they attack the other person Mm -hmm. who then thinks less of them (laughs) or gets really upset at them and then treats them in ways where they feel even less valued because they have, in wanting to feel more valued, they devalue the other person. That person feels their value being attacked and then fights back. Right. And then what you get is just a terrible result mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, okay, I'm feeling devalued. So mm-hmm. what I'm going to probably do is like attack or like plead to be treated. Right. Yeah. And I need to, I need to decide what is, what the Lord wants me to do. Mm-hmm. Pursue that. And then if I, if my husband responds to that or my wife responds to that, I will naturally feel more valued. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so sometimes you've got to know where you're coming from. I think asking yourself that question, do I feel attacked, abandoned, or disrespected, helps you develop language then to communicate that to your spouse as well. Like I don't, it's very rare that I know I've said in the moment, I feel abandoned or I feel attacked. Usually I just attack back or I'm passive aggressive or, you know, I, I just react instead of. Right, you'll act like in your survival mode. Right. People say, they call it fight or flight. Yeah. But that's one of the reasons why I say, especially look for this in your most primal needs because of those that activate these reactions that you Mm -hmm. don't completely understand, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's important to look deep. The problem here is is that in the realm of your primal needs is the place you're most likely to be repressing your real feelings Mm -hmm. where you won't allow yourself to feel what you're really feeling. Mm -hmm. Men are probably a little worse at this, but it's true for both genders. Sure. Um, so you've got it to say like I just feel really embarrassed, or mm-hmm. I feel it makes you feel unsophisticated, and it can feel kind of humiliating because yeah. you thought you were more complicated or more mature yeah. than this. Yeah. But to say that like I'm afraid you're going to leave me, or I'm afraid that blah blah, or I just feel hurt, mm-hmm. and I just want you to acknowledge that, and I don't know why I just feel like I can't get past it. I just want you to acknowledge that you hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. That feels like uh, what you would tell a five-year-old to go tell their little friend because they abandoned them on the trampoline for five minutes, you know? Yep. But that's how we really feel. the same principle applies. Your primal needs don't change when you get Mm -hmm. older. You get more sophisticated. You fulfill them in different ways. You add certain things of moral consciousness to them. Mm -hmm. But your need to feel secure and valued and and like present and not not like unjustly oppressed Mm They remain completely constant throughout your life. Yeah. You're not unsophisticated if you're afraid to be insecure. Mm-hmm. You're just alive. You're yeah. a living <laughs> biological creature who could die. That's yeah. all that means. Yeah. And so you've got to realize that's how you're feeling and respond yeah. to it. That's good. But when you respond to it, you should do it in like moral, spiritual, like cognitive categories. Mm-hmm. But you need to know it's coming from that deep, right. primal place. Yeah. Yeah. A couple other, well, one other question that you said to consider is, are you experiencing a conflict of visions? And by that, do you mean like you have the same, like you don't have the same end goal as your spouse? Yeah. Potentially? Yeah. Um, Like one of the things to try to figure out is how big is our divide here? Mm -hmm. Is this a, we believe completely different things about families or how to discipline children or something like that? Or is this what Sigmund Freud called a bigotry of small differences? We're like one percentage point apart here, but because the decision that we're making is a line drawn between our two spots. Mm -hmm. So we're actually on opposite sides of the decision. So for example, let's take the 22 year old son who's living at the house though wife thinks the kid should launch and get his own place. Mm -hmm. The dad's like, what does it hurt to have him around here? He's still sorting things out. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Well, they probably both believe kids should launch, but if they're like changing careers or they're doing something different mm-hmm. or they're exp- they're going after a dream or exploring something and they don't have a lot of money doing it, yeah. it should be fine for them in the house with us. Mm-hmm. Like, what do we need all these bedrooms for? Like, yeah. you can believe both of those things at the same time. Right. The question is, with this kid at this moment, what should we be doing? Yeah. And one says, we should kick his butt out of here. And mm-hmm. the other says, well, we should give him some time, mm-hmm. right? So you can believe the same thing. Right. And you get this a lot with young parents and kids that haven't napped properly. <laughs> the dad's like, okay, he's throwing a fit in the store. He needs to be punished. And the mom is like, okay. In her head, she's thinking like, well, he didn't sleep that well last night. Mm-hmm. He didn't get a nap. I feel like I've set him up for failure. Now he's failing. Mm-hmm. I feel responsible, right? The dad's like, look, nobody's going to care. How, with the, he's napped throughout his life. Mm-hmm. He's got to control himself <laughs> even when he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. That's the that's what it means to be a human, mm-hmm. right? But the mom's still like, yeah, but I feel like I've caused this or mm-hmm. like we didn't set him up for success. Right. So the parents might be on the same page on how to parent. Mm-hmm. You set the kid up for success. Right. You discipline them when they misbehave. You you love that. All that, right? But in the store, <laughs> they're still on opposite sides of the decision. Mm-hmm. So the question you have to ask yourself when you disagree with your spouse is, do we really have a conflict of visions? Or is this situation just falling in the middle of our two positions, which are really close to mm-hmm. each other? And so we're just, our judgment is off. Yeah. But our values aren't off. Mm-hmm. And if you can recognize that your judgment is off, but your values aren't off, usually what you have to just do is go with somebody's gut. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, or when you come to that realization that you have, you do have the same values, but maybe mm-hmm. the final call is different at the moment. When you When two people realize that, I think it's easier than to hear the other person. Yeah. And just know like, okay, let me hear your position where you're coming from. Let me hear yours. And then usually, at least in my experience, you can come to a conclusion that you both feel good about. Mm -hmm. It just took that moment to, to realize you are on the same team. You're not against each other, even in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other variables. Like Mm -hmm. I think, I think men tend to be much more humiliated by their children behaving really badly in public than women are. Hmm. Interesting. And so I think that they get more agitated. Yeah. And so they are like, we got to punch that kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually think sometimes that's good. Right. But I think sometimes it's like, it can be vanity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because I think men tend to be more connected to like the larger tribal picture of like the in society and you can't have people behaving this way and it like really offends them. And women are kind of like, that's my baby. I, you know, like who cares if he's yelling in the store? Like it's mm-hmm. not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so last question I have for you is what are the most effective solutions to resolving or preventing conflict in marriage? And then along with that, what is some specific language that can be used to diffuse conflict? Um, so that husband and wife know that they are for each other and not against each other. Okay. So it starts with somebody trying to do something constructive. So anytime you're interacting with your spouse or any person really, and you realize you're not really trying to be constructive anymore, mm-hmm. just, you need to just stop. You need to just mm-hmm. say, look, I'm clearly not a mature enough person to still be working for something good right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just, I just am in a destructive mood mm-hmm. now. And I need to stop and pray and figure out what the heck to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because what you want is you want to be the other person's ally. What's how can you make them doing the right thing the easiest, as easy as it can be? That's your goal, mm-hmm. right? That's always your goal in marriage, mm-hmm. right? In sexual morality, you're trying to make it as easy as possible for your husband or wife to be faithful to you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because you sympathize with them. Like the world's a hard place and people might be after them and their hearts and stuff. And like you want to make sure their life isn't like, so like you, and like you don't want your, you want to be an ally to your husband not weighing 300 pounds. Mm -hmm. So you might not buy certain chips and stuff (laughs) because you're trying to be his ally, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want him to say stuff to the kids he doesn't mean and he'll regret. Mm. So you tell him, look, when you come home from work, just take 20 minutes out in the garage and just relax and like, sort out work and then come in and be with us because I know that's really helpful for you mm-hmm. because you know it calms him down it relaxes he gets a little bit recharged he, he's better with the family right mm-hmm. similarly like when you're having conflict your job is to make it as easy as possible for the other person to do the right thing it's still their job to do the right thing mm-hmm. it's a hundred percent their responsibility to be godly but it's a hundred percent your responsibility to be their ally mm-hmm. And to make it easier. So yeah. one of the so here's like a, a paragraph I sent them. Mm-hmm. I was like, here's one possible thing you could say. Mm-hmm. I know you really don't want to talk about these issues about your mom or your sons. But I've been wondering, is the reason that you feel like you can't do what you need to do f- for all three of us? Like you can't you can't really please all three of us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um th- there's no way you can please both your mom, your sons, and me. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you just feel like there's no way you can win? Mm. Because I've been thinking about being in your situation myself, and I think that's how I would feel. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things happening there. One is you're showing you took the care to speculate on how hard it is to be them. Mm-hmm. You're demonstrating that you recognize there could be a real conflict in them doing the right thing, that they're not being inactive just because they're lazy, mm-hmm. which is what women tend to insinuate towards yeah. men. You're either lazy or you're a coward, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, there could be another reason. It could be just like, you don't see a win here. Yeah. Like you could get a win with me, but it would cause cause a loss for your kid and your mom. Mm-hmm. And you feel like doing nothing creates like a win loss. Yeah. And that's better right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And then, then you say, because I personally sympathize with your situation. Mm-hmm. I don't think... Well, I'd handle this. It'd be easy. Mm-hmm. I think, oh gosh, if I was in your situation, that's how I would feel. Yeah, I'd feel like I was stuck and there wasn't a win. Mm-hmm. So I can understand if you feel like that. So that if he says, that's exactly how I feel. There's no impl- there's no question about what she's going to say back. She's not going to be like, well, that's stupid. I know what I would do. Mm-hmm. She's already said, because if I was in your situation, I would feel just like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you say, if that. I think there could be a problem. I think this could be the problem. I'm sympathetic towards you feeling that problem. And I think I would be in a similar place as you if I had that problem. Mm-hmm. You're allowing the person to be like, yeah, that's exactly. So, so, and sometimes I've had this situation with people I've had conflicts with. I've done this and they didn't know how they were feeling. Hmm. But when I said that, they were like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Or they copped out and they lied and they agreed with the reason I gave them. Hmm. But it still gave us an opportunity to move the relationship forward and to get to something profitable. Right. I was going to say the whole point of this conversation and this example of communication here is not to resolve the 
issue. It's to uncorner the person. Yeah. And it's right. to, yeah, it's to resolve the conflict that you're having with the person, not right. the, it, it doesn't have to do with fixing the situation. It's about being on the same page with that person. Right. And saying, I want to help. Yeah. Or I, I'm not pushing you further into the wall. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. tell me, I'm ready to agree. If you say, I can't do this because of this, mm-hmm. I'm open to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm ready to think about more solutions than the thing I last yelled at you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. usually what happens in these is you get angry at each other and your capacity for creativity disappears. Mm-hmm. And so you think there's only two possible solutions when there's like a hundred possible solutions. Right. Yeah. But you don't trust the other person to enter into the creative process with them. Mm-hmm. And so you don't. And so it's the A or B. And now you've got this big fight. Yeah. It's like trying to write a song with somebody. It feels stupid to sing a verse. You don't even know if it's good. It's really embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So you just don't. And then you don't write songs together. Mm-hmm. But like marriage is kind of like that. You got to like, like I, there have been things with Lexi and I where we've worked through like five or six or seven or eight possible solutions. We've tried two or three of them. They don't work. Mm-hmm. And it's not to like, five adjustments on the second idea that was a brainstorm off the first I that we like hit this thing. We're like, that's it. Mm-hmm. And usually when we find that we both agree, it's the solution. Yeah. And we're really unified about it. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes the process was, was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the other thing that you mentioned to this, this couple in how to actually af- effectively come to conflict resolution is to, read the Bible and pray, which sounds so cliche and sounds like you said, hopelessly religious, but, um, there's truth in that. I can speak from personal experience. I like just recently, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend about a conflict that I was having with Jason and Mm -hmm. she's like, well, you could pray for him. And I was like, Oh yeah, (laughs) I've been a Christian for 25 years. And that's not my, natural go-to and yet i and when i started to it, yeah it didn't change yeah. him i don't no. i mean maybe it changed him but it would change my posture towards him and how i looked at him and like how, he physically looked different even to me and the oh yeah it's just yeah. it'll it'll look if i was doing marriage counseling counseling with two atheists and they would do it if i told them to do it mm-hmm. i'd give them that advice mm. take an ancient <laughs> book of wisdom that tells you to be a better person and to not be selfish and to have some humility and to do what's right in the long run because there's a God who loves you both who's there and then reflect on that and talk about it Mm -hmm. to this being. Mm -hmm. And like you can be an atheist and like look at as an atheistic psychologist and you can be like, yeah, that would help. Hmm. Just you're getting yourself in a certain frame of mind. Yeah. You're you're not thinking all these thoughts and that are like self-justifying and you're like mm-hmm. going around in the circle of your anger. Right. You're breaking that circle of anger in your head to read advice from the outside that is constructive advice. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, you're thinking good thoughts towards the other person. Mm-hmm. You're taking away your self-justification. You're speaking out loud your hopes for them. Mm-hmm. You're making them primary. Mm-hmm. Like even if God didn't exist, Reading the Bible and praying would be amazingly helpful mm-hmm. for your marriage if you would do it yeah. with piety. Yeah. In addition to that, God does exist. Right. <laughs> he loves you. Yeah. He's responsive to prayer. He works by the Spirit in your heart. When you pray for your husband, he does stuff to your husband. Mm-hmm. And all that's true as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so there's a pastor at City Church, a church across town, mm-hmm. who 
when he has marriage problems, he's like, okay, we don't even know if we have a problem yet until Hmm. we know if you're both reading your Bible and praying every day. Hmm. And just that kind of shuts down the pettiness of a lot of intermarriage conflicts. Yeah. And it gets people back on the right track. And then once they start doing that, of course he counsels them, Mm -hmm. but he recognizes that because part of the issue here is not just that God will help. Part of the issue is just the problem in your marriage problem is you Mm. and your sin. Mm -hmm. Like even if you go to like an unbelieving marriage counselor and you go to them a couple times for your marriage problems, what do they, what do they tell you 75% of the time they want to do in therapy? They want to meet with you separately. Oh, Hmm. yeah. They'll be like, this is great. There's some stuff I'd really like to work on. Mm-hmm. I think there's some communication stuff we can work on with both of you here. But what I'd really like to do is mm-hmm. to meet with either one or both spouses individually. Mm-hmm. That's what they always say. Because what they see is each person's personal dysfunctions are sabotaging their capacity mm-hmm. to be pr- constructive with each other. Mm-hmm. And so what we really need to do is we need to focus on the clinical issues that this person has. Mm -hmm. If we can do that, then they have a chance of relating positively to each other, Mm -hmm. right? That's the same thing the pastor is saying when he says, are you reading your Bible and praying? He's saying, the problem is you, Mm -hmm. except he's he's saying more than the psychologist is saying. Mm -hmm. He's saying, you have probably clinical issues and stuff that's causing problems, but also you're not near as good a person as you think. Mm -hmm. You're not dealing with your sin with the absolute desire to kill it. You're not submitting yourself fully to the will Mm -hmm. of God. You're not growing in deep enough humility and self-forgetfulness to deal with problems well. Mm -hmm. You need to turn to God for all those things. And when those get sorted out in you, and if they get get sorted out in your husband, you'll find this to be 50 times easier than you're finding it right now. Yeah, because when you do decide to enter into prayer and reading scripture that's you inviting the holy spirit to come work on your heart and that's it's going to look right right. it's going to look different than it than the holy spirit working on your spouse's heart right and so that that i see that parallel there that that is kind of like a counselor working separately (laughs) between the two people yeah right it's cool right yeah so um, yeah the the answer to everything in christian counseling is let's start with you growing spiritually and Mm -hmm. personally Right. Yeah. Because if that may not solve the problem, but it'll make dealing with the problem so much easier. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So. Great. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, this has been a very good, yeah, helpful podcast. Since again, a lot of marriages experience well, every I would say every marriage probably experiences conflict, and so being able to have some language to use, questions yeah. to ask ourselves, truths to look back on, that's all really key. Yeah, let me give like end with kind of a strange word of hope. Sure. I have seen dozens of marriages in which the people who married each other probably shouldn't have mm. and who struggle with like clinical level issues. And they the clinical issues didn't get better. Mm. But both people grew in godliness. Mm. And the growth in godliness mitigated so much of the destructive tendencies of their clinical issues that even though the clinical issues didn't go away, they had good marriages. Some had great marriages and they just accepted their spouse the way they were, even with these like insecurities or like whatever. Mm -hmm. And they learned to be their helper 
and they learned how to lead them and they learned how to accept them and learned how to love them. And they really had very fulfilling, loving relationships, even though some of the like brokenness from their childhood or difficulties in their temperaments never really changed. Mm-hmm. And so you might be listening to this thinking like, you know, these problems with my husband or my wife, they're never going to change. Yeah. They might not. But if you both changed in terms of godliness and spiritual in your in your spiritual relationship with God, you might find that there they would be so much less a problem, mm. and that they could persist, and you could still be very happy in your relationship. That's good. Thanks, Nick. listening to this episode of the engage and equip podcast if you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org if you'd like to find more episodes you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast you can also find us on apple podcasts google podcasts overcast and other apps like that we hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.